we're different people. I get debt collector calls all day, every day, specifically this time of year because it's tax return season and they're more likely to hit you up this time of year. I bet you didn't even know that because you've never been in collections in your life. Um, but they are more likely to hit you up this time of year. So if you're getting more debt collector calls, it's because of your damn tax return. So Or it could be a scam and they're really good at knowing when in this season. Oh, no. They tell me exactly call. why I owe money and I know that I owe money on it. <laughs> Hi, Idaho. My name is Andy with an I. And I'm Danny with an I. And this is the Idaho Crime Squad pod. Idaho Crime Squad pod where we talk about crime and creepy things that happen here in our beloved potato state. I am not in the uh, squad pod today. I'm actually, I'm a traveling podcast today. I am with my beloved sister, Danny. Hi. I'm having Danny on the pod today. Danny is super intelligent. She also majored in psychology in college. Um, and I specifically picked this case just so me and her could record it together um, because this case is a little bit psychological and she's going to have a better idea and breakdown of things that go into this case like really um, be able to tell us the ins and outs of of how the brain works this is a really crazy case i can't even believe that this happened in idaho and i really people up north probably have heard of this case but people down south not a single person i have talked to knows about it up north uh, yeah, that's Northern Idaho. Box. I don't, I don't understand Northern Idaho. Yeah, I, they are a different state. To we're me. we're gonna get into that here Sorry, um, today. So pack your bags, Danny. We're going on a road trip. Okay, we're going to Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene, yes, so pretty. This is our first up north story that we've done on the podcast. Um, so you know, starting right off the bat here, like Danny was saying, North Idaho is a very different beast than Southern Idaho. It's really beautiful. Um, very Pacific Northwest, very green, towering trees, beautiful mountains and forests. It's pretty much every di- in like every direction, just forested. Um, versus Southern Idaho, which is like very much like dry, flat, deserty. I actually had someone comment on the TikTok account that said, stated, because if you watch the TikTok account, you can very much tell that I am like a Southern Idaho person. I guess I just give off a vibe that I come from Southern Idaho. Um, I had someone comment on the TikTok account that if I'm from Southern Idaho, I'm not actually from Idaho. Interest. So they're claiming ownership of Idaho up north, right? Because we were this whole time we've been claiming ownership of Idaho, and we're like, you guys go, you know, join forces with East Oregon and be your own state. It's interesting though because like Idaho is known for what? Not being square shaped. Potatoes, um, and we grow all the potatoes down here. So, um, but anyway, we're, uh, I don't, like yeah. I said, I don't no, like that. You, that's an argument winner right there. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Yeah. Thank like, you. And I will be, I will happily become a square state if it means <laughs> that we can end whatever rivalry clearly exists. Cause I'm feeling this unconscious. Like... No. And you know, what's crazy is like, we're always trying to gatekeep Idaho from Californians. Why are we gatekeeping Idaho from other Idahoans? My driver's license <laughs> yeah, says we're on Idaho. The same team. I pay on. Idaho state taxes. <laughs> I'm 180ing right now. Okay? I was born I love in you guys. Idaho. I love you, Coeur d'Alene. 
let's jump right into here to the case. This is the story of Eldon Gale Samuel. We're going to start with a man by the name of Eldon Gale Samuel, okay? And we're going to refer to him as Junior for the rest of the case because there's three people with the same name. Who are related? Yes. Okay. Grandpa, father, son. So he is the third. No, he is the second. He is Junior. We're talking about Junior. Oh, because you have Junior, proper, senior. So we have Senior, Junior, and the third. But right now we're talking about Junior. Senior, like top level, junior, second level, third. Okay, think grandpa, dad, Robbie. Which one's junior? Dad. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Senior, junior, the third. (laughs) Where are you right now? I just had to make sure. You know, no stone left unturned. You know what they say about assumptions? This is my brother's joke. They make an ass out of you and umption. Robbie's joke? Yeah. That is so funny. Dude. It was off the cuff, too. He's never said like, that to me before. Junior, he had a son named Anthony, um, like, at some point along the way, but we aren't going to focus on that too much. He also had some daughters, um, but we're actually going to start a little bit later in 1998. So Anthony and the other kids, they, they don't really come into this story. We will kind of touch a little bit on Anthony later, but n- not really. Okay, how old is this dude in 1998? Mm, like 30s in his 20s. Okay, 20s. Yeah, 20s. He's, he's a lad. So in 1998, Junior married a woman by the name of Tina McCurdy. McCurdy? That's your last My name. My married name? Yeah. <gasps> okay. We hate Tina. Um, so they got <laughs> married in 1998. They were living in Northern California, like Modesto area, um, and would go on to have two sons <clears throat> of their own. This is Eldon Gale Samuel III, and he was born in 1999, and we're going to call him E3. Okay, Eldon the third, E three, right? Okay, yeah. I and then more robot than human at this point. I know, I know. I this is the only way I can make it make sense because sure. I don't want to keep saying junior, junior, sure. junior. I yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jonathan, that's his younger brother, and he was born in two thousand, just eleven months later. Jonathan had some sort of like mental disability. I don't know if that's the PC way to say this. Court proceedings say he had severe autism, um, but some sources say that it was Down syndrome. Obviously, these are two, like, very different ailments. But the point being is that he did need extra, like, attention and help. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the latter is, like, very diagnosable. Right. Just look at the chromosomes. I know. But, yeah, and I I think that it was more like a mistranslation between, like, news sources and court documents. I think he probably had severe autism. Um, This does become important a little bit later. So things seem to be going pretty well for this family as they settled into their life. They were very active in their community. They seemed like very, like a true American family. Um, No one had anything shocking to say about them by any means. There's not a whole lot of tea that I can find from their like early on marriage life with the kids. Stand up Idaho family. Right. California. Modesto. Right. Yes. They're in Modesto. But soon to be Idaho at some point, right? We'll get there. So Junior even ran for city council. At one point, either in 2004 or 2005. In Modesto. In Modesto. And his platform being to focus on helping first responders in some way. Didn't really go into detail. Junior was apparently upset by the growth of Modesto and thought that this was bringing a lot of unhoused drug users and putting elderly people out of housing. So he was going for like rent control and low income housing, that kind of thing. Um, But he didn't win that position. And he's giving me a lot of mixed vibes on that because he's like, these drug addicts are taking over. 
But then he also, like, wants to, like, do rent control and stuff like that. So I don't really know where his mind's at. Interesting. I mean, concept, that's, like, a respectable platform to have. But it sounds like the verbiage might have been questionable. I, I cleaned it up a little bit. I cleaned it up for the story. So sometime after this, after he lost that election, things really started to go downhill for the family. And unfortunately, it never really came back up. Tina and Junior started abusing drugs somewhere in this time. Oh, the irony. Uh, yeah. After running for... <laughs> I know. I know. Tina had apparently been in like a really bad car accident um, when the kids were three and four. Aww. And she never really bounced back from that, um, from using and then abusing pain right. medication. Yeah. This was like really hard on her mental health. She battled with some suicide attempts because of this addiction. Aww. She was just all around not doing super well after this. Junior was also addicted to pain pills due to a shoulder industry or injury that he had at work. He worked for like a cannery. He was a mechanic. He was never able to bounce back from this either. From 2003 to 2013, Junior would obtain 562 drug prescriptions from 36 different doctors. This was 1998, right? Nope. This is 2003 to 2013. 10 years, <laughs> over 19,000 doses of hydrocodone hydrocodone that was his that was his poison tina was comparable comparable how do you say that comparable tina was comparable to that as well so around the same amount um so so we kind of have this intertwined enabling in the house right someone always had their poison um it was a mess now with drug addiction addiction especially expensive drugs like painkillers comes financial issues Mm, right. They were getting evicted from even the dumpiest housing. A lot of sources say like cockroach infested molds, really bad. Work from that for them was kind of hit and miss. And Junior, unfortunately, started to become violent. This is just a trigger warning. We're going to go into detail about how Junior is abusive here. Um, so skip ahead like two minutes because we're going to be getting really into it. E3, his son, did state later in life that Junior would beat him punch him, leave marks on him all the time, and he missed a lot of school because of this, um, because the marks were visible. He mainly focused on his legs and feet, so he couldn't run around or even walk. He stated that he would also fly into fits of rage and break things in the house that belonged to him, like his toys. And Jonathan would build, his younger brother with autism, would build like Lego sets, and Junior would just come in and destroy them. Notable instances happened in front of E3 and Jonathan. Um, One instance, Junior soaked Tina in lighter fluid and threatened to burn her alive. Things were obviously escalating, but we're really just getting started here. Another instance was when E3 and Jonathan were six and five. Junior ran over Tina with his car and and then like hit her with it and then ran over her. And she broke her collarbone, but she did survive. What? Four years later... Junior bound Tina with duct tape, tortured her, and then forced 10-year-old E3 to urinate on her, his own mother. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. That's the worst of it. So around this time, CPS was contacted by some neighbors. Thank God. Who ended up taking Tina to jail for child neglect. What? Um, she spent 180 days in jail, but nothing else was really done about this. They And did they do any evaluation on her abuse and her addiction and the fact that she was struggling with? <laughs> I don't know. But they, they took her to jail. It was like something like neglect and then 
I guess one of the neighbors saw her hitting, like, one of the kids or something like that. She was not super innocent in this. She okay. was very much abusive as well. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, awful things did happen to her. And I understand that the cycle of abuse is very complicated. Um, but she was also an abuser. Did Junior go to jail too, though? Junior did not go to jail. Okay. So at this point, it's pretty obvious that Junior and Tina, but mainly Junior, is borderline becoming delusional. Like he's completely flying off the handle here. Um, Somewhere along the way here during this horrible abuse, sometime in the mid-2000s, he became a doomsday prepper. But not just a doomsday prepper. Junior believed that the zombie apocalypse was imminent. Like inevitable. Did he start playing The Last of Us? So The Last of Us actually didn't release until 2014, so no. Fair. Um, but but I'll, I'll get, in, I'll get yeah. into this. This explains why he moved to Coeur d'Alene. Right. So for <laughs> our younger listeners, there was like this really weird time in the 2000s when people were obsessed with zombies. Um, it was like this thing in Hollywood, like Zombieland got released. I'm sure it had a lot to do with the Mayan calendar, right? Like the world was supposed to end oh, in 2012. You remember this. Like this. people were like obsessed with zombies in the 2000s. Yeah, all those movies like the, so, okay. And like um, Walking Dead. Well, yeah, Walking Dead was a huge one. So video games. So Nazi zombies came out in 2006, I believe. That was on Call of Duty World at War. That was, like, when, like, zombie video games really took off. I mean, before that, there was, like, Resident Evil. That was, like, a really popular one. Dead Rising, Left 4 Dead came out in the mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, like I said, The Walking Dead was gearing up to release. And that had, like, a chokehold on society and me. Honestly, Daryl Dixon can get it. Norman Reedus, call me. So Junior, though, took this very seriously. Okay. This quickly became, like, an everyday training and living for this family, Um, eventually, excuse me, everything they watched and absorbed was zombie themed or oriented. He started teaching E3 to shoot and how to use knives, um, shoot them in the head kind of thing. Even on all of their family camping trips, Junior would run these like field exercises, like in the middle of nowhere, like roll like this and then bam, bam, bam. And like, look them in the eye, make sure you get it in the head, like that kind of stuff. Like they would go mm-hmm. all day mm-hmm. and then they would go go into their camper and watch a zombie movie and go to bed. These are young kids. He was essentially prepping for this apocalypse that wasn't coming. He would just hammer into these kids' heads to never hesitate, even for a second. Oh, I guess. To execute the threat by shooting it in the head. Junior was spending all of his time playing zombie video games. He was not working. He was also carrying a gun with him at all times. No holster, just tucked in his waistband. What kind of gun are we talking? Pistol? Just a pistol, yeah. Um, He did not have a permit for this. He was severely paranoid, completely spiraling. I can't really emphasize enough just how bad this was for them. um, Because they're still living in these horrible housings. And, like, they're not food prepping, right? Like, they just, like, have a... They're, like... It's all buying about a bunch the of guns. Yes, right. So they're hyper focusing mm-hmm. on the violence. So they're spending all day all day training for this apocalypse and everything they watch would be zombie themed. The family was like essentially ready to flee at any moment. Like if they heard the zombie sirens or whatever, it would take them like I think they said like 45 seconds to be able to be in their camper with the truck and be gone. E3 was bullied in school because he was understandably weird because of this. Um, considered weird, like socially, you know, inept. Yeah, um, and kids 
at least at the time, could be assholes. Sure. You don't know how yep. Gen Z is. Right. He was, so he was a little younger than me. I'm 26. I'm about to turn 27. He was like, he, so right now he's 23. Um, so kids were still awful in high school and middle school. So he was getting into fights, uh, lots of behavioral issues. And honestly, he preferred to like just stay home and play video, like these violent video games and watch movies with his dad. It's my heart. Um, it's because it was what he was good at, Poor you know? Boy. Yeah. They did leave, or so Tina did leave several times. She didn't take the kids, but she was kind of like coming and going at this point. But in May of 2012, she finally left forever, and Junior got full custody of the kids. She left the kids too. She left the kids. So this is where Eldon Gale Samuel Sr. comes into the picture. He's, he only makes one appearance here. So we have Sr., Junior, and E3, okay? Mm-hmm. So Senior lived in Coeur d'Alene. And Junior would take the boys and relocate there to essentially, like, see them or, like, keep them from seeing their mother. I think this was, like, very much a punishment for her. Um, that was the vibe I got from what I was reading about Tina's testimony in this Interesting. case. Interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, though, like, after a divorce, I don't think it's uncommon for people to move closer to their own families for the support, too. Yeah, and at, at this time, so remember how I talked about Anthony, which was Junior's son from another marriage? Um, he stated he states that Junior moved away to, like, get off of drugs and, like, become a better dad and, like, really get his life back on track. None of this is true. Anthony was under the impression that he was moving up there to, like, he basically blames all of this on Tina, right? Like, and I'm sure that his dad was telling him, like, oh, Tina's the problem, she's addicted to drugs, blah, blah, blah. But we'll get more into, like, the actual court proceedings and everything like that. He's wrong. But that's a that's a hard pill to swallow about your own parents, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, remember, Junior doesn't have any money. So they're just kind of winging it out here in Coeur d'Alene. So he hasn't been working? He has not been working. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the family end up being helped by an organization called St. Vincent de Paul, North Idaho. Have you ever heard of St. Vincent de Paul? I haven't. They are a wonderful organization. I'm sure they're church-affiliated. But they help people kind of, like, get back on their feet um, and and make them become, like, more self-sufficient. They line them up with job offers and, like, housing and that kind of stuff. They have a chapter in North Idaho, and they were able to get them housing. Um, I think they were really, like, trying to get them housing quick because, obviously, Jonathan was severely autistic, and and they became very much a priority to them. Oh, I'm sure Um, that was very traumatic for him being broken away from routine like that. So they were staying at 1311 North 1st Street in Coeur d'Alene. I looked this house up. It does not exist anymore. The property's there. It looks like they tore down the house. Next to it is a, what looks like a food bank or like a soup kitchen. And I think that it's owned by St. Vincent de Paul. And then the property next to it Mm. was 1311 1st Street. And that is where they moved Junior E3, and Jonathan. There's actually a picture of the old building up up on our Facebook and Instagram page. E3 was also starting to become violent as well after this move. Understandably so, given the uh, exposure. Sure. He was getting into fights, and he was full-blown attacking his little brother, Jonathan, quite frequently. In one instance, and this is just a trigger warning, this isn't as bad as what we talked about earlier, um, but he stabbed a sharp pencil through his brother's jaw. 
And then at one point, he stabbed him in the back with a knife. Yeah, the soft part of your underneath. Under? Yeah. Sh- oh, my Sharp God. pencil. And then at one point, he did stab him in the back with a knife. He was also caught shooting at, like, chickens. Not his own chickens. E3 was also really struggling in school. Um, he was having some health issues, like headaches, fatigue, lots of lots of dental problems. That probably comes with child neglect, I would I would think. How old is he at this point? Um, 14. There were a few instances where E3 had to call 911 because his dad had overdosed. All this to lead us to March of 2014. They had been there for about six to eight months. This is when E3, after going to a doctor, was put on Prozac, which is an antidepressant. Very common antidepressant, very mellow. It's like something that a doctor would put you on, like first go around, puts you on Prozac. Mm-hmm. And then if you need something stronger, he'll give you something Classic, else. Classic, yeah. Yep. Neighbors around this time state that Junior, the dad, was becoming very erratic. They'd see him running around the yard, talking to nobody, hiding from things, like hiding from people, and firing his 45 into the air several times. He had boarded up his back door, covered all of his windows with paper. His paranoia was like just spiraling even worse. So this day, on March 24th, the same day that E3 got medicated, Junior told his boys that the zombie apocalypse had started. Basically, he was out front firing his pistol. Okay, and that's definitely a delusion. E3 came inside and was like, get in the fucking house. Like, what are you doing? He comes into the house. He smacks E3 rather hard. Um, and he tells him the zombie apocalypse is happening right now. We got to go. E3 was completely tired of this shit. I mean, he still believed him, but he also knew that his dad was, like, just high. So he just said, you know, you need to go to bed. You're just f***ing high. Um, He was tired of this, you know. This caused some immediate tension. Junior then hit E3 again. And this is when E3 grabbed one of his dad's 45s and he shot him in the stomach. What? Now, Junior starts to crawl towards Jonathan's bedroom. Like a zombie. E3 in his mind thinks, oh sh! did he just turn? Is he a zombie? And just like his father taught him to do, he did not hesitate. Instead, he unloaded three more rounds into his father's head. This podcast is sponsored by Fairly Reliable Bob's. Fairly Reliable Bob's used cars in Boise, Idaho has been right on the corner and right on the deal since 1975. Fairleys is a small, locally owned family business, so when you buy a car at Fairleys, you're supporting hardworking Idaho families. The money you spend stays right here in Idaho, not going out of state to some big corporation. You are supporting our community because Fairly Reliable Bob's supports our community. Causes like Optimus Football, the Boy Scouts, the Rescue Mission, Camp Odaya, and that's just to name a few. Fairly Reliable Bob's has a huge selection of cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, and of course, Corvettes. But did you know that Fairleys sells more electric and hybrid vehicles than anyone else in the area? Their staff is knowledgeable on all types of vehicles and can help you choose the right vehicle for your needs. Fairly Reliable Bob's used cars. Downtown Boise at 23rd and Main since 1975. Now, all of this makes sense in my head, okay? That makes sense psychologically, 
He he did that because that's what he was trained to do for so many years. But we're about to get into what happened to his little brother. So this is just a trigger warning. Again, this is very, this is even worse than the last trigger thing we talked about. Um, go ahead and skip forward like 30 to 60 seconds. We're going to try to fly through this here. Jonathan is still in the house. He's hiding under his bed. He's 13. It was then that E3 demanded that his little brother get out from under the bed. And Jonathan did not because he was probably very scared. So E3 puts the gun down and grabs a shotgun. He then shot Jonathan under the bed 10 times. Why? With a shotgun. I don't know if this was like a riot shotgun with like a magazine or if he like unloaded and re like if it was a double barrel if he actually unloaded and reloaded several times freaking nutty i mean it's insane he then violently stabbed his brother's body over and over again with a knife and then he grabbed his machete and hacked his brother's body somewhere between 50 and 100 times i don't even know what to say to i this. know this is and then he called 911 he called 911? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the f***? He was very calm and he was very straightforward on the phone. He told them, hey, I just shot my dad and my little brother. And when they got there, he was standing in the front door completely covered in blood. Obviously, the scene was super gruesome. Blood on the ceiling, walls in almost every room of the house. The amount of pill bottles found in the house, uncountable. Inconceivable. All with... Uh, junior's name on them or stolen or whatever mm -hmm. um every corner of this house was littered in pill bottles or alcohol alcohol bottles as well oh, okay i knew alcohol was in the mix it's kind of violence we're man. about to get into the autopsy jonathan's autopsy little brother was horrendous they could not even begin to know how many wounds were on him um they were able to tell that his cause of death was from bleeding out caused by the shotgun wounds so he was dead long before the other stuff happened. But as far as how many actual physical wounds he had, your guess is as good as mine. They did not know. He also had several broken bones, which we can assume was from the impact of like the machete or the shotgun blows. Junior's autopsy showed that he had six narcotics, different types of narcotics in his system at the time of his death. Sorry, which ones? Like hydrocodone, cilandra, lorazepam, Alprazolam, Celexa, and quote, a blackout level of Ambien. Jesus Christ. Okay, first of all, though, Celexa, is that a narcotic? No, that's an SSRI. But still, that, okay, so his neurotransmitters were going crazy. Have you ever um, taken Ambien? Nope, and I never want to. Apparently, if you take enough of it, it can cause horrible hallucinations, paranoia, and I guess an impending fear of the zombie apocalypse. Um, well, that's so specific. Yeah. I mean, it no, is a I, I don't mean that's. Right? I, I meant that ironically. Like, oh, okay. obviously, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Here's the thing. Like, have you ever had sleep deprivation, where you're like tripping out, like to the I, point where I've you're had like seeing sleep things? Deprivation where I'm cranky, or okay. sometimes like when I'm first waking up, I might see, or when I'm falling asleep, like I'll hallucinate. But that's normal. So when I was like 21 and dumb, I used to take diphenhydramine for fun, and like go out, and I would see shadow people in the bar. Ambien, I've taken Ambien medically before, not for fun. I've taken it medically before, and first of all, that is one hell of a high. 
But second, it if you take enough of it, it like really, I mean, the paranoia that you get is insane. If you don't sleep. So if you think about it, I mean, this guy is taking a bunch of types of tranquilizers and not sleeping. I guess, long story short, he's taking a f- ton of shit that is completely changing his neural pathways. And I'm not a doctor, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm like spitting all this stuff out. I have a bachelor's in psychology. Like, so take all of this with a grain of salt. I'm not diagnosing anyone. I'm not, I'm just telling you like what I know about this kind well, of stuff. Well, and the common listener will know that taking six different types of prescribed yeah, medication yeah, yeah. Like is any... not a good idea. Right. Especially with this, like lorazepam and Ambien, that's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. It's that's a... a, that right there, you need to not do that. That is not a good idea. That is not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make anything fun. You're going to be yeah. crazy. I don't care what drugs it is. Like, don't take six of them at once unless your doctor, for some reason, says so and gives you a really good reason to. So, obviously, E3 is arrested. He's taken to the station, put in a room, and his initial interview begins. And this is conducted by Sergeant McCormick and Detective Wilhelm. With 14-year-old E3. Correct. The first strange thing in this interview was that E3 did not know his address or his own phone number. Uh, they moved around a lot, but he had been living at this residence for six to eight months. Like, so I don't know. Care. Like, you gotta know your oh. phone number, you know? Like, it's... Well, at least back then. I don't know it's my husband's phone number now. I know mine. Like, do you know your husband's phone number? Yes. I'm not gonna... Okay. I need I'm not to gonna learn. say it, but... I need to learn my husband's phone yeah, number. Yeah, you definitely do. Mine is I more know. so if I go to jail... I can call somebody. No, I need to think about it. I mean, it could happen to any of us, right? He didn't know his phone number. He didn't know his address. The first claim by him was that his father had killed his brother, Jonathan. And then he killed his father trying to protect his brother. I mean, that's a... It's a clever story. It's a clever story, but then he ditched that story. Um, So the next story, he stated that he hated his brother... He was tired of taking care of him because his dad was such a f***ing loser. Um, And a lot of the responsibility for Jonathan was falling on him from a young age. And so he resented him for a lot of reasons. Um, And he didn't want to do it anymore. Now, similar to the U of I murders, did did these cops bring in the FBI? No. They got him. They weren't looking for him. That's Yeah. No, that's fair. They got him. That makes sense. Yeah. He kind of gave them the rundown that his dad was a drug addict, and they could see that, like, he had called several times about his dad ODing, that it had gotten worse, and that he, it was kind of crescendoing in the last few days that his dad had hit him twice that evening, and that he shot his dad, and he stated, quote, I love him, but the next time he comes after me, that's self-defense, right? Close quote. It's also worth noting that he stated to the cops that his dad was hitting him. The cops coerced him in his written confession to state that he was pushed instead of hit. Why? Um, um, Because someone pushing you isn't a reason to shoot them. Well, yeah, I get that. Someone beating the shit out of you is definitely a reason to shoot them. But why were the cops motivated to, to do that? Less paperwork? Probably so that he couldn't get off on a self-defense charge. I see. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So he stated he went he went on to murder his brother, stated that he blamed all of his family's problems on Jonathan, including his parents' drug use, and believed that his brother's disability drove his mother away. Ah, and there we have it. Which, just for the record, I, I hope that that's not true. Um, 
Well, no, but it's how he feels. And I would, yeah. Potentially. I would assume that the lighter fluid and the running over her with a car probably had more to do with it. But it, you know, he saw what we didn't see. So I don't know. And he's the child. Yeah. So you're going to, that is incomprehensible. He then stated he had no remorse and had contemplated this for months, killing Jonathan. Oh my God. Which my dude, stop talking. Because that is not self-defense, you know? Also, ask for a lawyer. I say this in every single one of my episodes. Obviously, this kid doesn't know that. But to my listeners, I'll say it again and again. If you are arrested, they cannot make you talk. Don't believe what they say to you. Don't believe what they tell you. No matter what it is, keep your mouth closed. Even if you're innocent, ask for a lawyer. It doesn't yep. matter how bad it looks in the press. If Even if you are innocent... And if you're not being arrested, then leave. If Ask them, if, am I being detained? If you're not being detained, then leave and call your lawyer. Call a lawyer. You have whatever. rights. Yep. You have rights. You have Don't rights. forget it. Don't let them tell you you can go home after you answer a couple questions. Right. Don't let them tell you you're hooked up to a lie detector test. Don't let them tell you any of that. Get a lawyer. They will gaslight the shit out of you. They're allowed to. They're allowed to gaslight you, to lie to you. You have rights. You have the right to a, an attorney. Even if they are not... Even if they're asking you questions about one of your friends, they could still correlate you with the crime that one of your friends yeah. did. So ask for a lawyer. Don't try to be helpful. And they're going to tell you, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've worked 300 sure. homicide cases. Great. Blah, blah, cool. blah. That doesn't mean they're awesome. going to take like a keen eye on your case. Doesn't matter. Shut the f*** up. Yep. The only person who will have your back in that circumstance that can possibly help you is a lawyer. So they originally charged him with two counts of first degree murder. Okay. But that That's... was later dropped down to one count of second-degree murder for Junior because it lacked premeditation, right? He killed him in, like, a crime of passion, essentially. It would be hard to prove. Yeah, that makes sense. And then first-degree murder, murder for Jonathan. And he was going to be tried as an adult. Good. So they did run a hair sample on E3. I don't know why they didn't do a blood sample, like, the day of the crime, but they ran a hair sample on him about three weeks later. They found that he was prescribed and taking Benadryl, lorazepam, and then he had been prescribed Prozac literally earlier that day. So he had like a little drug cocktail himself. He also had Celexa in his system. He was not prescribed Celexa. They think that his dad, Junior, had actually replaced his lorazepam with Celexa and was stealing it from him. Okay, that tracks because why would you abuse Celexa? And... Junior was not prescribed lorazepam, and he had it in his system. So he was obviously stealing the lorazepam from his son and replacing it with Celexa. Mm. No, that, that makes sense. I think that's really good deduction by the cops. Yeah. The problem they run into here is where the f*** do they put this kid? He's 15 years old at this point. The judge doesn't really want to put him in juvie because he's obviously like a loose, violent cannon. But by federal law, they can't put him in adult jail unless he is out of the general population and cannot see or hear other inmates. This is to prevent inmates from abusing the child physically, verbally, sexually. He can't even see them. Can't even look at them. Makes sense. So they put him in solitary confinement for 70 days. Okay. And that is its own thing to analyze but 
what else were they going to do? Like, what was the alternative? So for our listeners here, solitary, solitary confinement, confinement is used as a punishment. Um, the average prisoner will spend 30 days total in the, sh- they call it the shoe, in the shoe during the entirety of their incarceration. Okay. They had this kid in there for over two months. People literally go crazy. In yeah, there. that's actual torture. Um, it has serious psychological effects on people. During this time, he lost a lot of weight. He was starting to hallucinate. His physical eye vision was suffering because he was being in a dark cell all day. Socially, he was completely isolated. So I'm sure that caused some behavioral abnormalities. The staff stated he was, quote, withdrawn and weird. After 70 days, they did move him to a juvenile facility for six weeks. And he thrived there. He did just fine. But they then moved him back to solitary confinement at the adult jail as the trial got closer. Why? Don't know. If he was thriving. I think that judge stepped in. That judge is very against him going to juvie. The way they were doing it, so they separated him for meals in the juvenile detention center. He wasn't allowed to have meals with everyone else. Um, They gave him his own cell. He was able to go to school, so he was able to work towards his high school diploma and have PE classes. It just seemed like a lot more humane. And this was like a major issue during this. And a lot of people might disagree with my standpoint. I'm a firm believer in like doing your time as a criminal. But this kid hasn't even been convicted yet. And even convicted criminals like deserve a humane environment aside from what jail and prison is already like. Like it's already awful in jail and prison just because of the people you're around, right? Like... No, that's a good point. Like, innocent until proven guilty. Like, at the chance that he, he was innocent. He hasn't even been convicted yet. Some people here are already thinking it. But let's talk a bit about going for the insanity plea. Because obviously this kind of fits the criteria as far as that goes. If you don't know anything about the insanity plea, basically the accused can have some psychiatric testings done. Um, get the opinions of professionals. But the defense essentially needs to prove that the accused did not understand what they were doing at the time. Right? And for the record, the insanity plea doesn't lead to lollipops and unicorns. Like, it is no... It, it is not a fun time either. Oh, it's horrible. You, are... you go to an asylum... Like, a, a, they don't call them asylums anymore. I'm sorry. You You go to a mental institution and it is... But Bleak. it's not just any mental inst- institution. It's a special type well, it's like for a state convicted yeah. people. Right. And so it is not, it's not a break from prison. <laughs> Let's just say that. It is prison for those who are specifically deemed yeah. mentally ill. For sure. And I also want to call out that like mentally ill, people throw around that term now. That is a legal term. That is used to deem somebody mentally, like, that's what's used for the insanity plea, mentally ill. So when you say mentally ill, that doesn't mean that, like, just because you have um, schizophrenia does not mean that you're mentally ill. That is a legal term that is used specifically in the court of law (laughs) to make these types of convictions or these decisions within the court. So it, it kind of bothers me when people just say, oh, yeah, I'm mentally ill. It's like, no, you're not. That is a legal term. That is, it's not in the DSM-5 in any other context other than the legal sense. So if you are to qualify for the insanity plea, you are deemed legally mentally ill. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. 
Okay, interesting. I, I actually did not know that. Right. And That's I think a lot of people don't because yeah. they throw that term around like it's nothing. And it's a lot. It has right. huge legal implications. So his team was attempting to have some psychi- psychiatric tests done, which was probably a good idea. I would recommend that for any murderer. Absolutely. Especially with the insanity plea. But a lot of people don't know this. Idaho abolished the insanity plea in 1982. <gasps> Are you serious? It's not a thing here. Oh my God. It is not a thing here. In fact, his lawyer actually did try to fight that and was unsuccessful. What are our death sentence policies? Like, do we still do open fire? What's the term? It is. So open firing. um, Okay. So first of all, the death penalty was abolished in the 60s or 60s or 70s. Federally. Federally. But then the power went back to the states not very long after that. Mm-hmm. So since then in Idaho, after that it was like firing squad and um, lethal injection. And you got your choice. But no electric but n- chair. No electric chair. That was that was gone a long time. That was gone in the 50s. Is that still 50s. in Texas? N- I don't think anymore. But it wa- Texas was the last state to abolish it. Okay. That makes sense. In 2012... They finally got rid of the firing squad. So now it is just... But nobody in that time chose the firing squad. And not a lot of people were executed. Since 1980, 40 people in Idaho have been sentenced to death. And only like four or five have been executed. We don't kill people like we used to. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But we are also Texas's little brother in terms of legal policy. Well, yes. And there actually is a death row inmate that we have on death row right now who's just waiting for us to get the lethal injection but what people don't realize is like you don't just buy that at the corner store like it's really hard to get the The lethal injection yeah it's not medication because that's the opposite but the the the, uh, chemicals yeah the chemicals so it's first of all it's super expensive millions and millions of dollars um it comes from china or like a country like that and it's extremely hard to get and the reason for that is because they don't want people going around just killing people So the trial happened in January of 2016. The defense's angle was he killed his father in self-defense, and then he killed his brother in a fit of rage, and they were going for manslaughter for his brother and then self-defense for his father, which is just, whew, that's asking a lot. That's crazy. Um, Tina, his mother, made an appearance at this time and actually testified in court about all the craziness of Junior and everything that he had put them through up until he left to Idaho with the boys. She also stated, quote, I would give my life for my son, Eldon. He's all that I have left. I will never give up on my son, close quote. The trial was very long, several weeks, I think three weeks. There's a lot to consider, obviously. The jury, wow. After a few hours of deliberation, just a few hours, they found him guilty of both charges. First-degree murder, of Jonathan, second degree murder of Junior. By the time sentencing happened, which was in April of 2016, while he was living in the juvenile detention center, so they put him back there, E3 had gained 40 pounds. He, was, he wasn't skittish or shy anymore. Um, he was able to now look people in the eye and actually talk to them. He was doing a lot better than when he was like first arrested and held in solitary confinement. Staff of the juvie at this point state that he was a fantastic inmate. He was completely different than the kid that he was when he got there. His grades were great. He was very much together as a person. 
you know, it's interesting because a lot of people who come from like really terrible situations actually thrive when they're given like some sort of structure, right? Like, do you know the story of Gypsy Ray or Gypsy Rose Blanchard? She was the one who her mother had Munchausen's by proxy. Munch, oh, Munchausers yeah. by I proxy. That show on Hulu. Yeah. So she had obviously like a really shitty situation, but she states that she like doesn't mind prison. She like actually likes it because it's like very. She doesn't mind being away from her mother who was imprisoning her. Yeah. <laughs> but also life. like she liked structure. She liked, but she says she has a lot of freedoms in there that she didn't have. And she thrives right. in there. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, kids need a certain amount of autonomy. Totally. So anyways, E3 tells the judge during sentencing, quote, I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I've changed physically, spiritually, and emotionally. This is not an excuse for what I did that night. I lost my dad and my brother, Johnny, my own little brother. I only ask for mercy and righteousness, close quote. The prosecutor here argued that although E3 is clearly a product of his upbringing, he does need to spend some time away from society as punishment for the crimes he committed. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I agree. The judge, his name was Benjamin Simpson, stated he is taking a lot into account here. The state psychiatric's op- opinion, which was that E3 suffered from reactive attachment disorder. Do you know what that is? Not really. I mean, it sounds like what it is. So a child develops it when they aren't held as a baby. Oh. Yeah. It's like... It's the main argument against, like, self-soothing. It's a, it's, that's what the state psychiatric hospital or person diagnosed him with. They believe that he was not coddled as an infant in, in those, like, essential development years. So he also stated he's taking into account the fact that he was abused and neglected starting from a young age, what the jail staff had to say, and what a few of his teachers testified during the trial. He went on to state that this case has been a tragedy since E3 was five years old. He also stated, quote, Mr. Samuel, you're going to have to live with the fact that you took Jonathan's life for the rest of your life, close quote. Nothing about the death. (laughs) He went on to state, quote, it's at least understandable, while not excusable, with respect to your father, given his history of treatment of you. So he's basically saying, like, I get why you killed your dad. Not excusable. But, like, you didn't have to do that to Jonathan. He went on and sentenced him for the secondary murder of his dad to 15 years, 10 fixed. So, 10 years before he was eligible for parole. Concurrent with 20 years fixed for the first degree murder. So, all that to say, because, like, court is very shitty in the way that they make this understandable. Um, He was given a life sentence for killing Jonathan... 10 years, 10 to 15 years for his dad, E3 will have to have to serve 20 years before he's eligible for parole. Total. Total. Okay. Correct. So now they're like, where the fuck do we put him? He's 16. Mm. The federal law is that he needs to be housed within 48 hours of his sentencing. And the judge is not comfortable sending him back to juvie. So this judge is the reason that he keeps getting put in and out and in and out of juvie. He's 16 at this point, so he needs somewhere to stay for two years. Okay. They finally decide to put him in the juvenile prison about a month later. So he was in the shoe up for about a month, and then they finally decide to, you know, put him into a juvenile prison. And that means juvie. Juvie, right. Okay. So 
he would remain there until he was 18, which was in 2018. Okay. Today, E3 is 23 years old. He's still very much in prison. He's being held at the Idaho Correctional Institution up in Orofino, which is like up north. And he will be eligible eligible for parole on March 24th of 2034. It's the day before my birthday. Okay. And that is the story of Eldon Gale Samuel III and the zombie apocalypse murder in Coeur d'Alene. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe that f***ing happened in Idaho? No. I understand. It, it, like, it doesn't surprise me it happened. It just surprises me that there wasn't, like, a whole lot of press about it. There probably wasn't, like I said, in North Idaho. But, like, yeah. you had never heard of it. I, I hadn't heard about it. And that um, happened, like, 10 years ago. Like, less than 10 years ago. So there's this weird pattern of all these fanatics that like to move to Idaho. And I hate that we're associated with that, you know, because, like, most of the Idahoans that we meet are these awesome, just normal people in, like, a good way, you know? Right. So it's interesting to see what stories come out of this whole fanatics move to Idaho because they think that's, like, the chosen place. And I'm I'm sick of on national news us being known for for the wrong things. We're like that Florida. That are going to attract all these people. We're like Florida. Yes. And it's going to attract all the wrong people. If you who see are like a headline from head. Idaho, it's never a good thing. Yeah. I want to start attracting, like, if we really want to be a free state, <laughs> I want to start attracting the people who value free states and not value, like, doing terrible things to each other and acting, and, like, thinking somehow that they're not going to be punished. Mm-hmm. For the Idaho Crime Squad pod, my name is Andy with an I. And I'm Danny. Good night, Idaho. The Idaho Crime Squad Pod is an Idaho Crime Squad production. Trademark 2022. All rights reserved.